Well, I mentioned yesterday at the Christmas Eve service, you know, it's one thing to talk about Jesus being the reason for the season. The reason we celebrate Christmas is because Jesus was born, yet we have the opportunity to demonstrate that Jesus is the reason we celebrate when we come and worship a risen Savior on Christmas Day. And so I'm encouraged uh, that all of you are here. Uh, my wife was telling me, uh, you know, there was only going to be about uh, 15 people here. Uh, were we really going to have service? And I said, we get to celebrate Jesus' birth on Jesus on a Sunday. And so what a, what a great opportunity uh, that we have to come. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to the book of Matthew. See, you know I couldn't stay out of Matthew too long. Matthew chapter 1, we're going backwards. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses 18 through 23. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. The scripture says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that, was, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Let's pray. God, as we see your word taught this morning, as we see your word open, Lord, may you speak to our hearts. May you reveal to us your eternal purpose in the birth of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, tonight, tonight, this morning, uh, we want to look at the purpose of the birth of Christ. And I want to focus very briefly on verse 21. The scripture says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sin. In the Old Testament, names meant a tremendous amount. It, it defined who we were. And even as you get into the New Testament, in that biblical age, in that, in that New Testament, in that ancient world, a name defined you. And even today... Our names, in, a, in a, a, a very real way, define who we are. And oftentimes, it is, it is by, by, sheer, by sheer coincidence, or, or for those of you who don't believe in coincidence, by the providence of God. Uh, my parents named me Preston. They named me after my, my grandfather, who had died whenever my dad was a young man, whenever my dad was, uh, was still, uh, before he was even a teenager. My dad and my grandfather had passed away. And so when I was born, my parents named me Preston. My grandfather was not a righteous man. He was not, a, 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 not even a church-going man. On every weekend, uh, he wasn't in church worshiping the Lord. He was in the woods doing what he wanted to do. 
Yet when my parents named me, they named me Preston. And as I began to research what my name meant, my name literally means priest. From priest of God, mediator between God and man. And it's very, it's very appropriate that my name is Preston and I stand up here. My vocation is to proclaim the message of God, to, to be that mediator between God and His people, to proclaim His message. Names have a great deal of meaning. And I want us to look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, because the angel gave Joseph a directive to name the child that would be born Jesus. Jesus is the Greek, uh, is the Greek form of the name Joshua. It is the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua. And the Hebrew name Joshua comes from two words. It comes from Yahuwah and Shua. And it means God. That's where we get the name Jehovah from. And salvation. The name Joshua, transliterated into Greek, Jesus, literally means God saves. There is no, there is no coincidence. There is no... Uh, uh, this is a, a good name, this is a popular name. When the angel stepped before Joseph and said, the woman whom you are about to marry is with child and that child is of the Holy Spirit and you shall call his name Jesus. The angel is literally telling him, you shall call his name God saves. Why? If you look at verse 21, it says, because it is he who will save his people from their sins. From the very beginning of time, Jesus was God's purpose. I don't think that, that, that we understand oftentimes the sovereignty of our God. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Oftentimes we read the Old Testament as if God were somehow reacting to what was happening in the world. We see Genesis chapter 3, and we see the fall of man, and God walking through the garden in the cool of the evening, and God asking, where are you? As if God did not know the answer to that question. God knew exactly where Adam and Eve were. He asked the question to see how they would respond. Whenever God said, how did you know you were naked? He didn't ask them for informational purpose. He asked them because He wanted to see how they would respond. Whenever I ask my children, who did what or, or why are you fighting, they don't realize yet that I'm not asking for informational purposes. That, that, that I am aware of what has taken place. That, that I make it a point as a dad never to ask a question that I don't already know the answer to. And, and they, they haven't yet figured that out. And so, so oftentimes they'll try and lie and manipulate and, and they'll try and convince me that Daniel will try and convince me that it was Anna's fault or Anna will try and convince me that it was Nick's fault. And poor Nick, he gets blamed for everything. And, and, and they don't realize that as a dad, I'm not asking because I want to know the answer. I'm asking because I want them to be truthful and honest and I want to see how they're going to respond. And we oftentimes don't realize that God doesn't ask questions for informational purposes he knows 
Nothing has ever occurred to God. Whenever Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God, the, the, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit weren't sitting up in heaven thinking, oh no, what are we going to do? This, this horrible tragedy has taken place. We have to come up with a plan. I got it. We'll, we'll, we'll develop this whole elaborate sacrificial system. And whenever that didn't work, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit were sitting up in heaven and saying, well, that's strike one. Do you have any other ideas? I got it. I'll go, down to, I'll go down to earth and I'll be the Lamb and the Holy Spirit. So that's a great idea. That is not what's taking place. The Scripture tells us that Jesus was God's plan and God's purpose from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3. As soon as sin entered the world, we see the author of Scripture tell us that God had a plan and a purpose before sin ever entered the world. That sin would put enmity, hostility between God and man. Between the seed of man. But there would come an offspring, there would come someone from the seed of man that would crush, that would destroy Satan. God's eternal purpose from before time began. Jesus was God's purpose. I found a new verse in the passage in Scripture this week. I was reading, studying, praying, and God added a passage this week. He added a verse. Has anybody ever found, has anybody ever seen God add a verse? You, you read a passage of Scripture and you've read it a hundred times and then you read it for that hundred and first time and you're like, when did that get there? That wasn't there last week. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11. This is the verse God added this week. He talks, he's talking about the, the, the grace of God that's been given to us through Christ. And verse 11 says, This was in accordance with His eternal purpose, which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's eternal purpose has been carried out in Christ Jesus. What is that scripture saying? That scripture is saying that God has a purpose, God has a plan from everlasting to everlasting, that God is before anything was. That God had an eternal purpose, an eternal plan, and Jesus wasn't just thrown into the mix, but Jesus was was the eternal purpose and was the eternal plan of God from everlasting to everlasting. And from the very beginning of time, Christ was God's plan. If you go through the Old Testament and you you take a cursory glance at some of the, the stories in the Old Testament, every single story, every single miracle point to Jesus. You see the Exodus. The angel tells Moses, put the blood of the Lamb over the doorpost, and all those who are under the blood will be spared the death. We see the story of Abraham and Isaac. Whenever Abraham carries his son, and his son himself, Isaac, carries the wood for the altar up on top of Mount Moriah is a picture of how Christ would carry His own cross up on top of Mount Carmel. And Abraham and Isaac get to the top of the mountain and Isaac asks his father, Dad, Father, Abba, where's the lamb? And Abraham said this statement, God will provide for Himself a lamb. Why? Because Jesus was God's eternal purpose from everlasting to everlasting. 
whenever Joseph was thrown into a pit and his brothers are trying to figure out what to do with Joseph, they come up with this grand scheme, this grand design that will sell him. And they sell him for what? For 30 pieces of silver. The very same price that Jesus was sold for by Judas. Coincidence or God's eternal purpose or God's eternal plan? Jesus was God's purpose from the beginning. I want us to understand something that, that I think oftentimes we, we fail to realize when we look at God's creation. Because 2,000 years after Christ, some 6,000 years after Abraham, we see creation. We see the, the impact of sin in a fallen world. And we look around and we see, we see disease. We see death. We see crime. We see addiction. We see the consequences of a fallen world. And, and oftentimes we, we, we say, well, God's creation is just messed up. But I want to remind us that God's creation is perfect. When God created, He created perfectly. There is no fault. God didn't screw up. There was no accident that, that, that all of a sudden sin entered the world and, 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 and now God's creation is, is, is messed up. Satan does not have the power or the authority to undo what God has done. God is the one who is all-powerful. God who is the one who is God is the one who is immutable. God is the one who is from everlasting to everlasting. Satan himself is a created being. And Satan is under the dominion of God. If let us let us remember the story of Job. Satan is not allowed to do anything to any creation, to any aspect of God's creation without God's allowance. And so we must understand that creation is not, it is not destroyed because of sin, but rather it is distorted. And God's eternal purpose, hear this church, God's eternal purpose is not to remake creation, but God's eternal purpose is to redeem and restore creation to its perfect state. God's not going to start over. God's already created perfectly. He's already knit you together in your mother's womb. He has already created a perfect world. He's already created the Rocky Mountains and the Grand Canyon and the Pacific Ocean. He's already created mom, dad, husband and wife, children, family, as a picture of His love and His grace. He's already created the church as a picture of His bride. Creation is perfect. And Satan, the enemy, does not have the power to undo what God has done. The fall did not permanently destroy creation, but rather it gave God the opportunity to be God. It gave God the opportunity to redeem. And oftentimes, we can't appreciate the glory of God apart from redemption. We can't appreciate the glory of reconciliation apart from the sting of separation. In John chapter 1, verse 29, 
John the Baptist understood the purpose of Jesus the first time that he saw him in John chapter 1. We see verse 29. Now, note that this was not the first time John had ever laid eyes on Jesus. Jesus and John were first cousins, or Jesus and John were second or third cousins. Mary and Elizabeth were first cousins. But here we have John seeing Jesus topping the hill, and he calls to Jesus' eternal purpose. He said, the next day you saw him, and he said, behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want to point out that the word sin there is singular. Jesus did not simply come to pay the penalty for our sins, but He came to redeem His people, to redeem creation. Jesus does not simply pay the penalty, deal with the consequences of sin, but He initiates God's redemptive plan. Creation will be redeemed. I want us to look at this passage out of Isaiah. It speaks to the redemption of all of creation. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of, from the stem of Jesse, a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Verse 1 and 2 is talking about who? This is the part where, 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 where you respond, where you reply. So let's, 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 let's back up. I, I, I know your mind was wandering. You were daydreaming. You were thinking about Santa Claus. You were thinking about the presents. Let, let, let's back up. Let's read those verses again. Verse 1 and 2. Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and strength. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And those two verses are talking about who? You, you, you can say it. It's the, same, it's the same Sunday school answer that you've been giving for the last 30 years. The answer is Jesus. Verse 1 and 2 are a clear reference to Jesus. There will come someone from the line of Jesse and he will be the Messiah. He will have wisdom and understanding and knowledge and strength. And look at what will be the result of Christ. Look at verses, look at verses 5, 6, and 7. I think that's where we'll be. Look at verse 5. And also righteousness will be a belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. Talking about Jesus. Verse 6. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little boy will lead them. Verse 7. And the cow and the bear will graze and their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den, and they will not hurt or destroy. And all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, and its waters will cover the sea. What is Isaiah talking about? He's saying there will come a day when Christ will redeem creation. Well, there will no longer be death. There will no longer be destruction. There will no longer be the consequences of sin because, because the creation as God created it will be redeemed. It will not be remade because creation 
in the manner in which God created it, was perfect, without fault. Sin did not destroy creation, but rather distorted it. And when Christ came, the redemptive plan of God was put into action. And the time clock started. And there will come a day whenever Christ will return. And at that moment, all of creation will be redeemed. And there will no longer be any sickness, disease, divorce, selfishness, death, pain, sorrow. You don't have to worry about letting your kids go play in the front yard wondering whether or not they're going to get run over or kidnapped. You don't have to worry about letting your kids go run and play. You'll have children. Because children are a blessing from the Lord. Every good and perfect gift is from the Lord. There will be a realization of the joy of the Lord in His creation. Creation will not, will, not, will not distract us from the glory of the Lord. It will point us to the glory of the Lord. Right now, because of the distortion of sin and because of the perversion in our own mind, even the good things that God has given us, we have a tendency to make them idols. We have a, ten- a tendency to, to elevate them above God. We elevate the, the gift above the giver. But when creation is redeemed, when God gives us a wife and a child and children and loved ones, and He gives us material things, and we see the blessings of God, it will cause us to worship and love Him that much more. God does not want to destroy and take away this created world. He wants to redeem it. And that is His purpose in Christ, is to redeem the world. God's eternal purpose began, was was made flesh on that night in Bethlehem. Jesus came that sin would no longer ravage God's creation. From the very moment sin entered the world, man began to think of himself above all else. What happened whenever Satan approached Eve? I'm sorry, God approached Adam and Eve in the garden. What did Adam and Eve do? They began, they began to commence in the American tradition, America's pastime, transferal blame. Satan said, what happened? Adam immediately said, that woman you gave me, it's her fault. So God said, okay, we'll play your game. Eve, what happened? It was, the, it was that serpent. It was his fault. She began transferring the blame to him. And that's what we've been doing from that day forward. It's always someone else's fault. It's my husband's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my brother's fault. It's my sister's fault. It's the government's fault. Sin ravages God's creation. It causes us to focus on the creation rather than the Creator. It causes us to misplace our allegiance, to misplace our priorities. And so here's the question I have for you today as we close. Is your life being ravaged by sin? You say, preacher, I don't drink, I don't curse, I don't chew, I don't go with the girls that do. 
I'm not asking, are you misbehaving? I'm asking the question, is your life being ravaged by the consequences of sin? Do you hurt? Are you in pain? Are you broken? Are you sick? Are you dying? And the answer is yes, you are. We are all being ravaged by the consequences of sin because we live in a world that is being ravaged by the consequences of sin. You can't turn on the news. You can't watch television without seeing the effects of the consequences of sin. Without seeing sin ravage our world. In August, sin ravaged this community. Whenever a natural disaster destroyed homes and lives... Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that God and, and, and the flood was, a, was a, a reaction of God to this world. I'm saying that because of the fallen nature of the world that we live in, natural disasters, earthquakes, floods, fires, it destroys. That is the nature of sin. Sin destroys. We live in a world that's being ravaged by the consequences of sin. Is your life being ravaged by the consequences of sin. If it is, and I know that it is, I want to call your attention to Jesus. The angel told Joseph, you shall call His name Jesus. Why? Because God saves. God saves. God in His great grace, and in His great mercy, and in His great sovereignty, provided a way for the consequences of sin to be dealt with in He, in His great eternal wisdom, made a way that sin would no longer ravage His creation. And that way was Jesus. Jesus was always God's plan. He always will be God's plan. John chapter 10.10, He says this, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it the way that it was always intended, have it more abundantly according to God's eternal purpose. Let's pray. God, we thank you that before time began, you had a purpose. And that purpose was Jesus. That purpose was to take that which had been ravaged by sin and redeem it and make it as you always intended it to be perfect holy blameless righteous and there are those here this morning whose lives this very day are being ravaged by the consequences of sin by the consequences of selfishness and pride and anger and frustration and disease and death And you've called them to come to me. Your word tells us to come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This morning, maybe you just need rest in Jesus. You need to come here this morning, and you needed to hear that God has an eternal plan, and it has nothing to do with my life as it is now, but has everything to do with Jesus. 
we turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. May this Christmas morning, may we focus on Jesus. God, may you speak to our hearts this morning. If there's someone here who needs to to trust Christ, may they come. If there's someone here who simply needs to come to this altar, maybe they need to take someone with them and come to this altar and pray. Or don't allow the pride of man to prevent them from doing business with God. And we pray for your Holy Spirit in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray.